Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews 4. We're going to spend some time this year, um, at least at the beginning, uh, in the sermons that I'm doing, talking about God's eternal plan. And uh, this is, uh, you know, there really couldn't be a more important discussion uh, for us to have. But also in some ways there couldn't be something that's more confused in our sort of society and world today than how to put the Christian message into practice. Uh, It's kind of a sad thing to, uh, you know, when you're sharing your faith with someone who doesn't really know anything about the church, and inevitably, they don't know anything about Christianity or not much at all, and inevitably the question comes, why is there so many denominations? And no matter who you are, your heart kind of goes, oh... I hate this question. You know, like, why? Why Why do you have to answer? Why does there have to be this question? Um, I think what it really shows about Christianity is just how much, I would say, evil forces there are at work in the world to try to confuse the message. In other words, uh, there's a lot of messages out there, and I don't think Satan cares if people get it right or wrong, those messages. But when it comes to the message about Jesus, when it comes to God's eternal plan, then there are forces at work in this world that do not want us to understand it. And we'll get in through our human pride, through our traditionalism, through just areas of our human weakness to try to get us not to see the true picture. And so I think it's so important for us to just get back into the Bible and really understand God's eternal plan. Now, what kind of doctor would you prefer? Would you want your doctor to be the one who tells everyone that he examines that they have terminal cancer? Or would you like your doctor to be the one that tells everyone he examines they don't have terminal cancer? Which doctor would you prefer? I mean, you've got to think about that a little bit. Because at first you go, well, of course I don't want the guy that says everybody's got terminal cancer. I don't want that guy. But on the other hand, do you want a doctor that's going to tell you you don't have terminal cancer without looking? He's going to tell you something without actually knowing the truth about you and, and your true condition? I mean, the point is, you don't want either of those doctors because that's not what a doctor should do. And uh, I, I apologize to any of the doctors in the uh, in the room. We have a few. You know, um, I'm not trying to tell you how do you do your business, but you go to the doctor to find out the truth about what's wrong with you. Uh, sometimes you go for a checkup, and it's just affirmation that nothing's wrong with you. You know, that, that's another good aspect. But you know, you want to know the truth. And so, you can find a bunch of people to say, Oh, you know God's eternal plan for you? You're fine just the way you are. You don't need to change anything. They don't open the Bible. They don't quote anything from Jesus. But they just tell you, You're fine. You're a good person. And there's part of you that goes, Oh, I love this doctor. (laughs) Wow, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's great. But then part of you goes, uh, why do they know that? Like, how, what truth are they basing that on? You know, so it's, it's, it's important that we understand this correctly. We want a correct diagnosis. We want someone to really be able to tell us what the truth is. And if our physical health is important, what about our spiritual health? If our physical life is important, what about our spiritual life? 
And so when it comes to God's plan for us, we need to know the truth. We need to be really knowledgeable from God's Word. Let's look over in Hebrews 4. And actually, we've already talked about this today a little bit. In Hebrews 4, he be, he, in chapter 3 and in the beginning of 4, he's talking about this whole time of the Israelites wandering in the desert and how they weren't faithful. And they could have been faithful, but they chose not to be. And so, after kind of telling this story, he says in chapter 4, verse 11, Let us, talking to Christians, therefore make every effort to enter the re- that rest, which is the promised land, to heaven, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now, who do you want to give you your spiritual prognosis? Man or God? Do you want a human opinion or do you want to know God's opinion about where you're, what your spiritual condition is? It says right here that only God knows. Only God can truly see. God understands the difference between our attitudes and our thoughts. His Word reveals things that we ourselves can't know. And so we've been given sort of the manual, so to speak, the, man, the, the sort of doctor's handbook, it's, it's a little bit DIY, you know, do it yourself. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, you can go on websites these days just about for anything, how to fix it. There's even these health websites where you go through your symptoms. I don't know, Dr. Web. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you, you go on this website and you put your symptoms and you get some kind of diagnosis. Now, you know, if you go through one of those things and it says you need to have your spleen removed, I think you go, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I trust this. But sometimes you go through one of those little tests and surveys and it comes out to something and it all makes sense to you and you think, oh, it says I should go, you know, it says I should rest and drink fluids and I, you know, do something. And you go, okay, I can do that. You know, I mean, if it's not too challenged, we, we might accept it easily. But we want to know the truth. What's our condition? Are we, in fact, following God's plan for our lives? You know, Alex touched on something that I will touch on a bit as we go through this, these lessons on God's eternal plan. It is interesting to talk about Jesus, the Son of God, having to submit. But the moment Jesus became flesh, there was part of Him that didn't want to submit. The moment Jesus had flesh, flesh has a will of its own. Haven't you ever noticed that? Have you ever been really tired, but you don't want to go to sleep? You, you have things to do. But your body is saying, you must sleep. You know, or you're busy and your body's saying, you must eat. Poor Scott and that story about the noodles. Okay. You know, uh, you know it's, it, you, your body's craving something. It's terrible if it's just craving bad things. But your, your, your body has a will of its own. And that has to be put into submission. Why didn't Jesus want to die on a cross? Well, who wants to die on a cross? If you knew you were supposed to die on a cross tomorrow, what would you be praying? I think we'd all be praying the same thing Jesus was praying. God, please don't let this happen. 
then hopefully we could finish it like He did, but your will be done, not mine. Let's look over in Hebrews 6 for a moment. Hebrews 6, we'll just pick this up in verse 1. He says, Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Now it's interesting here, he says, let's leave these elementary teachings, these basic fundamental teachings, let's, we're going to leave those right now and talk about some other things. And what he's going to talk about is godly living, righteous living. But these foundational teachings really make up a lot of the themes about what I want to talk about in the next few sermons. In other words, we need to get these foundational teachings incredibly solid in our minds. These are very important. So when these things are in place, then the next step based on these things is to live the Christian life. To be submissive to God in our hearts, in our attitudes. He said, let us leave these teachings about Christ. And it's interesting, all of these things are connected to Christ somehow. If your repentance isn't connected to Christ, it's not the kind of repentance God, God wants. If your faith in God isn't connected to Christ, it's not the full faith that God wants you to have. Uh, it talks about washings or baptisms, which could also be translated washings or cleansings. We'll talk about that later too. It talks about the laying out of hands, which is an interesting thing. We'll talk about that some. But then he says, resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. You know, we have to have an understanding that, that God's got a plan for us. And there's some things that are going to happen that we cannot change. And the Bible talks about these things as predetermined things. I want to look at another scripture. First uh, Peter chapter one verse eighteen. First Peter chapter one verse eighteen. And one thing that is very confused uh, in our sort of Christian world today is this idea of predestination and God's foreknowledge. And we'll have a whole lesson on that probably two weeks from now. Just about that theme. We need to understand that. Not to be confused by it. Because sometimes people think, well, if God already decided it, what can I do? But, but it's not quite that simple. God already decided that Jesus was going to die on the cross. But for Jesus, it was still a decision the day before. Isn't that interesting? I mean, God had decided that that was going to happen. But Jesus hadn't yet. Not completely. He was still working through it. And see, there's a decision that we have to make. Will we conform to God or not? And God makes a decision about those who conform to Him. But the decision to conform, to be what, what He has called us to be, we must answer that call. Well, look what it says here in 1 Peter 1.18. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in God." 
Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. In other words, the fact that God was going to offer His Son to us was already, He'd already made up His mind. Which means He actually knew what we were going to do. He knew that given the choice between right and wrong, all of us at some point were going to choose wrong. God knew that from the beginning. But then He also then supplies us with an answer to that. How do we deal with that? And that is through Jesus Christ. And so this was God's plan from the beginning. And nobody can change this. In fact, now it can't be changed because now it's been accomplished. But even before the coming of Jesus, it could not be changed. Because if God makes up His mind something is going to happen, it happens. He's very different than us. I read a little quote this, uh, this uh, Christmas holiday. If you want to make God laugh, tell Him what you're going to do. You know, when a human being says, I'm going to do this, you know. How many times do you, go, oh, you say, I'm going to do something, and God's like, yeah, okay. We'll see. You know, we, we don't have that much control, do we? We can't even say for sure we'll be somewhere tomorrow. Now, no, it's good to make commitments, etc. We have some natural understanding, you know, that we're, we're going to be somewhere. But at the end of the day, if God wills, we're not in complete control. And so we have to, in a, in a sense, submit ourselves continually to that will. But Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. And if we're going to understand God's eternal plan, we have to see that that was at the beginning of the plan, not in the middle of the plan. At the beginning of the plan, God already made up His mind how this was going to play out. How this was going to be done. Now, He didn't make up His your mind for you any more than He made up Jesus' mind for Him. So you have to make your decision. But He's offering you a will to follow with predetermined results because that's who God is. God can say something and it happens. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not just simply cause and effect. We, we live in a world where there's cause and effect. Jesus performed miracles that violated every physical principle the rest of us follow every day. When's the last time you walked on water? When's the last time you raised somebody from the dead? You know, when's the last time you put somebody, you you laid your hand on somebody and your power healed them? Oh, we do have a couple doctors here, but you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, we have a a GP that we work with and we we really like her because her whole attitude is, your body's talking to me. You know, listen to your body. You've got to help and work with your body to get better. You know, she's... But that's very much... There's principles that if you just understand them and, and cooperate, things will go better for you. But God isn't subject to any of these principles. He made the principles. He made the rules. Before the creation of the world, there was no gravity. But there's gravity now. And it's throughout the whole creation of the world. As far as scientists can tell, to the extent of the universe, gravity exists. But before the universe existed, there was no gravity. God didn't say, boy, how am I going to make the universe work together with gravity? He created gravity. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God wasn't following anybody's rules. He wasn't submitting to anyone else. 
Because that's who God is. God is the one beyond. And He's got a plan, and that plan is Jesus. Look at another scripture, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. This is Paul's last letter, and Timothy's been a little intimidated uh, by what was going on, sadly, in uh, Paul's life. Paul's been in jail. Paul's been facing hardship. And Timothy must have been a little doubtful. Is this the kind of life he wanted? Because Paul was challenging him to sort of man up, be more spiritual, and face the challenge. But look what he says in verse 8, 2 Timothy 1. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Sorry, suffer me for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him for that day. It says that this grace was given to us before the beginning of time. And, and, and I think what Paul understood was God had an eternal plan. Eternal means it existed before the creation. And it will in fact exist after the creation. It's God's eternal plan. And in fact, only those in cooperation with God's eternal plan will exist eternally. That is God's plan. Well, let's just go over to John chapter 1. And the rest of our lesson is just going to come from John. Because I want us to see that Jesus is the plan. Jesus is the plan in every way. You know, you could say that the plan is truth. You could say that the plan is a way. You could say that the plan is life. The plan is light. But Jesus is all those things. Jesus embodies God's eternal plan. And let's just read this together then. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, i gotta, I got to admit, it's really hard to explain this any better than John just did. I mean, God and... Jesus and the Father coexisted our creation. They, they were before. And, and I don't know that... I don't know how this works, but I don't know that there was any definable difference between the Father and the Son while they were still together. In other words, in eternity, what did this look like? Well, all what He's trying to tell us is the Word that became flesh. This Word was God. This Word pre-existed the creation. This Word that's going to become flesh, part of God. I mean, the analogy of the Father and Son 
It's a little awkward because there is no mother, so to speak. Now, physically speaking, Mary was the mother of Jesus. But eternally speaking, Mary's not the mother of Jesus. He came from the Father without any help from Mary. And so this image of Father and Son is the fact that part of God came out from God. Amazing. And the part that came out gave up some of the powers and divinity of God and limited itself, being, cut, being put in human form, and the rest. And so, that part that was left is the Father. That part that came out is the Son. It's the only way we can really sort of grasp it, because it's not just some kind of, of you know, um, object, it's a person. Now, I became a father, it was on August 2nd, 1989, a very beautiful moment, down in London, St. Thomas's Hospital, uh, with a view of Big Ben. Tammy didn't appreciate it at the time. I was saying, oh, Big Ben, look at that. She goes, whoo, you know, and on with it. But anyway, uh, she wasn't like some of those women, though. I, I heard this one woman going, you made me pregnant. She was so mad at her husband. She was just, you did this to me, and she's yelling. But anyway, uh, Tammy was being a little kinder than that. But anyway, so, but there was a birth. In that moment, I became a father. Now, what's interesting is, did I change in that moment? No, I mean, I, you know, but something had come out from my body and through the processes of natural biology became another individual. Well, I would also say with a miracle of God, but you know, became another individual. And so, Britain became my daughter in this case, and I became a father. Tam became a mother. All that changed right there. It's a miracle. We, we can't really explain it, but, but here's the thing not to doubt. Jesus was, in fact, God. And as Philippians 2 says, He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. He gave it up and took the form of a servant being found in human likeness. It's a miracle. That's amazing. But it's the truth. And so, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Sorry, that sounds confusing, but it, you just can't say it in any, in any other words. He was with God in the beginning. So He was God, but He was with God. Huh. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And we know that Jesus played a special role in the creation. And it talks about the creation being made through Him. So whatever this part of God was that is going to become, you know, Jesus, so to speak, God was working through it. Now, it's interesting. The Greek word, word, doesn't just mean a word like written down. It means a thought. And isn't that interesting that, they, that this concept's there? In the beginning was a thought. Because you can have a thought and still nobody else knows. It's just in there. But then when the thought comes out, it's spoken and everyone else can see the thought. And so, Jesus is the light. He is the light of God's eternal plan. When Jesus appeared, God's plan appeared in its fullness. 
Prophets had talked about it. They'd seen elements of it. But Jesus was it. There's a great difference. Look a little further. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now, I don't know, uh, some scholars think that some people were kind of making John the Baptist almost too important. And so John, who wrote his gospel last, was kind of correcting it, just kind of going, John was just a guy. He was chosen by God. He had a purpose. But it's not about John, it's about Jesus. John came simply to testify about the light that was coming into the world. Verse 10, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Well, that's a pretty amazing statement. Jesus is offering something to us beyond human power or control. He is offering us the right to become God's children. Wow! That changes us completely. To to now pray to God, Father, and this is a true relationship. Jesus came so we could become God's children. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Now it's interesting, John witnessed about Jesus. Jesus existed before I did. Of course, uh, uh, Jesus said the same thing Himself. He said, before Abraham, I am. Of course, He said that in Hebrew, it would have sounded like Jehovah. That's what Jehovah sounds like in Hebrew. So, I mean, he was saying, I'm God. Jesus was God in the flesh. What an amazing miracle. It says that the law was given through Moses, but interesting, it has a different word. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace just wasn't given. See, Moses didn't write the law. He was the law giver, but he wasn't the law maker. Moses gave the law that God had made. He simply passed it on. Jesus was truth, or is. Jesus is grace. It says here that that grace came through Jesus Christ. In some of the in the Revised Standard Version, it says grace was realized through Jesus Christ. Realized. It be, grace became real. You know, this word that, that's translated came 
It means to become, to come into existence. All these little different definitions are here. To appear in history. To come onto the stage. Um, to become, to be made. In other words, Jesus just wasn't, oh, here's a new message. Jesus was the message. The message of God's plan is God become flesh. Wow. That, that's our God. The infinite God who made our universe. His message is, I love you so much, move over, I'm coming. Stand a little to the side. I'm going to be standing right beside you. He, he became flesh and lived under all these physical rules that we live under. He submitted Himself even to the rules of this universe. Jesus did. When Jesus was sick, He was sick. When Jesus was hungry, He was hungry. Jesus, you know, oh, I need to... Jesus had all the same physical responses. He had all the same temptations that we have. But He didn't sin. He didn't sin because He committed Himself to God and submitted to God's will. So the law came through Moses, but grace appeared. It was revealed. It came into, in reality, came into being for us in Jesus Christ. Because He is God's grace. He is God's truth. Look in John chapter 3. We'll just close with this familiar passage. John 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You know, a good sermon ends with some kind of practical challenge. And today's practical challenge is simply come into the light. Jesus was sent into this world so that we could see God's plan. So that we could understand God's love. So that we could experience His grace. And He's inviting us in. Now, you know, He says, it sounds quite simple, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Oh, that's easy. I believe in Him. But if you believe that He's the light, you have to come into the light. You can't stand in the darkness and go, Oh, I'm going to stay out here, but I believe He's the light. That's, that's just not possible to be said. If you believe He's the light, you must come into the light. Now, how do we know the truth of God's plan? It's in the Scripture. God helps us understand it through our experience with each other. But it's a relationship with Jesus that most fully reveals it. And so our challenge is through every means possible to know Jesus. To come into that light. To not hide. 
And actually to ask our own hearts, is there something we're hiding? Is there something we're ashamed of? Is there something that we're not being open about with God? And even with others. I mean, sometimes people say, yeah, I got my secrets, but God knows. Well, God knew your secrets before you ever told anybody about Him. My point is simply this. If your secrets could keep you from eternal life, if they could keep you from obeying God, if they keep you from doing what's right, you need to get open. If If you can't deal with it yourself... You know, there are some things a man should keep between himself and God. Romans chapter 14. But there's other things that, man, if, if we need help, which we all do, let's come into the light together. Let's help each other together. The light came into the world with Jesus Christ. He is this world's light. He came because God loved us so much that He knew the only way to really get us to understand His truth was through Jesus Christ. He made that decision. Judgment is coming, whether you like it or not. We don't have any control over this. You don't control gravity and you don't control judgment day. Gravity happens whether you like it or not. Old age happens whether you like it or not. Uh, a lot of things happen whether you like it or not. There, there's things that just happen naturally. But there's things that happen in the spiritual realm that we have no control over. But there's no need to be afraid of God. Why should we be afraid of God when He sent us His Son Jesus? How can we be afraid of a God who's willing to sacrifice part of Himself for us? How can we be afraid of Him? Well, we're afraid of Him if we're afraid of our deeds being exposed. And so our challenge is simply this, to believe that Jesus is the light, to believe that He came into the world, and to come into that light and let the truth be seen. Amen.